Hey, what's up? This is Jason with Centerpoint Church. We're in this collection called Brand New Again, and we are looking at this journey with God, what it's like to actually walk with Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, and opportunities in our life to have a reset, to start over again. God really can make us brand new again. Let's jump into the message. Man, I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. If you're listening by podcast, we are just honored that you are a part of the family and spending time with us today. For those of you here in the house in Hendersonville, Tennessee, I appreciate your commitment and being here. I'm excited for what we're going to be talking about. This new collection kicks off today. It is called Brand New Dot 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 Again. Brand New Again. And so we are in 2022, which sounds crazy even saying that, and much like for the last two years, the world is a crazy place. But what is normal is this idea of making New Year's resolutions. Just because I'm curious, raise your hand or put me in the chat if you made a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to ask you what it is, but if you made some sort of resolution, I'm going to blank more. I'm going to blank yes. I'm going to start wearing deodorant. I'm going to start whatever. If you made a New Year's resolution, I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of a guy, full disclosure. But I did make one this year. Do you want to hear what it is? Do you want to hear what it is? Yes, Jason, we want to hear. Try it. I I tried something a little different, and y'all can steal this if you want. My New Year's resolution is I am going to help all of my friends gain 10 pounds so that I look skinnier. That's pretty good. That's way better than me going to the gym. So chili fries, super size, the answer for y'all is yes. But I, I took a li- made a list of some of the most popular New Year's resolutions. Really, honestly, none of them surprised me. But in order, this is what I discovered of your top four New Year's resolutions. What do you think the first one is? Lose weight. Yeah, no one ever says find weight. You want to lose weight. So lose weight, save money have less stress, and then the fourth one is quit smoking slash vaping, which is kind of a weird phrase, but that's just where we are in today's day and age. And, and what was interesting is it said that only 7%, now I have no idea how they can know these numbers. In the words of Homer Simpson, you can use numbers to prove anything, but 7% of people actually still had kept their New Year's resolution by the following year. Only 7%. So 93% failed. Guess what percentage failed within the first month? About 43% failed within the first month. Now, the one where you say lose weight, that one's kind of hard to determine because it varies. But, But here's what I want us to think about during this collection, during our next couple of weeks together, is how can we start fresh? How can we be brand new again? Because we see all throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, this concept of being made new. Whether you are a new creation, whether God's mercies are new every morning. Like we see this idea of being remade, reset, brand new again. Whether it is how the world is made, the animal cycle, the plant cycle, the life cycle, the seasons, the fact that you have to fall asleep every day is this idea of a rebirth, of a renewal, of a renaissance in your life. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. 
It says you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. It's fantastic. I, I, I want us to talk about all the different areas in our life that are you have access to starting over, to being made brand new. In fact, not even a reset, but to be made better. So this week, we are going to be focusing on what I think is the first one. You have to have this or none of the other things will stick, and it's renewing your mind. Brand new again, this week we are talking about your mind. There's this big push in professional circles of EQ, emotional intelligence. See, for a long time in the business world, they talked about IQ, how fast you can process information, how smart you are. But now the professional community is, and, and even in the university level, is starting to really understand the importance of your emotional intelligence. Because if your, your, your mind is not processing information accurately, it doesn't matter how fast you process it. Have you ever, now don't raise your hand, this is rhetorical, and if you're standing next to them or your arm is around them, don't raise your hand. Have you ever dated like a crazy girl before? <laughs> <laughs> or, I said, don't raise your hand, BJ. <laughs> like, for a long time, I was a middle school history teacher, which was amazing because it was like my own personal reality show in which all the people are crazy in front of me every single day. The bad part is, is my professional competency was decided upon based how they did on a standardized test, but I digress. But, but I loved it because I watched this chaos. And I knew what girls were a little more dramatic than others. And I saw the boys just have that, you know, that ooga, ooga. And they had no idea the Venus flytrap that they were flying towards because this chick is crazy. And I loved it because I'm in my mind, I'm sitting here going, bro, it don't matter how good looking she is. It don't matter. Your life is going to be miserable because emotionally she's all over the place. Now, it's not just a female thing, all right? Guys process information terribly and emotions even worse, to be honest with you, because, you know, we kind of act like behind our ribcage is just circuitry and wires and we're sociopaths, right, which is not healthy either. But the business world is pushing towards emotional intelligence. If you can't process emotions properly, it's going to affect all areas of your life. And it's the same way in your spiritual life. God wants to take your mind and how you process things, and he wants to make it new again. He wants to reset it. Whenever there's an issue with the Internet at your house, Grant, what's the first thing that you do? You go to the router and you what? You unplug it and you plug it back in again. And then when it gets fixed, your wife is like, she is, he is so smart. How did he fix it? And you're like, oh, I just know things. And little did she know that you just unplugged it and plugged it back in and it started working again. But that's what we have to do with our mind. Now, there was a study a couple of decades ago by Dartmouth University. I heard a preacher talk about this. So I went down this rabbit hole of just studying it about two weeks ago. And it was an amazing study that I think you're going to find incredibly interesting. They talked about the life change index and how much the human mind could handle being disrupted within a certain amount of time before it suffered a mental breakdown. And you see, your mind is this really interesting thing because it likes routine. It likes order. It likes predictability. And when you get a certain amount of unpredictable things happening within a set amount of time, it sets it in crisis mode. And so this university by Dartmouth, this, this study by Dartmouth University, 
talked about the life change index and how much you can handle within a given period of time before you had a full-blown psychotic breakdown or at minimum started having bouts with depression and anxiety. Because any sort of disruption in there is a life change. Any sort, Your brain doesn't like it. And so what they decided in this study is that the average human being can take somewhere between 200 and 300 life changes within a 365-day period. Now, not all life changes are the same, and we're about to talk about them. See, they gave a point value to each one of these things. And again, there's a few variables, your propensity towards anxiety or depression, sometimes your age. The older you are, the less change you like. And so any sort of change will actually get higher. Some people can, can, are mentally tough than others. Some of it goes back to your childhood and what you, you were exposed to as a young person. And so it varies between two to 300 points. But we are creatures of habit. No, look no further than this. And I don't know if this is true for everybody, but this is true for me. Uh, I was just telling, we were talking about this, me and Thomas were talking about this this week, that I have... Even in this town, I haven't even been here that long. I have two gas stations that I like to go to, and it's almost always one of those two. Yeah, you're shaking your head, yes. Uh, and, and, and it may even just be one for you. You've got one that somehow you've convinced yourself either has the best deal on gas or the gas is better than all of the other ones or maybe both. Melanie, I see you shaking your head. Uh, and, and, and so for me, i got two different ones. And it's dependent upon which side of town I'm on when I run out of gas. See, I'm the kind of guy, <laughs> it drives my wife crazy, that like that thing's down on E. And I'm like, oh, I got three more trips out of that. That's no big deal. <laughs> I got that. So at some point in time, though, even I'm like, okay, we probably need to stop because I see steam coming out from, from under the hood. And, and I, I've seen too many A-Team episodes to know this car's about to blow up. Mr. T is going to be, be coming over to save me. But, but I uh, somebody have no idea what I'm talking about. That's crazy. I'm old. But... But I have two different gas stations, and I'll even go further than that. I got a particular pump at this particular gas station, Nick Shaking his head, yes, that I like to go to. And if somebody's at that pump, I'll probably wait. If there's more than two people at the pump, I get mad. Like, bro, what are you doing at my pump, man? That's mine. That's mine. We are creatures of habit. So, you don't necessarily have to know all of these things, but I think that it will give you some, some context as to what can push you into psychological turmoil if things are given. Now, remember, it's two to 300 points. So here are some, some point systems that are put together with different events in your life. The death of a spouse is the, the largest on the life index scale, and, and, and that's, they've attributed 100 points on the scale. Divorce is 73 Marital separation, 65. Incarceration, 63. Death of a close family member, 63. Major bodily injury, 53. Being married gives you 50 points on the life scale. It does. And then ironically enough, being fired is only 47 points. So being married is more stressful on your life than being fired. And all the women say, amen. Why? Because being married just simply disrupts your routine because you don't know what the other person is going to be like when you come home. What's their attitude? What do they want? What are their feelings? Just being married disrupts the system. I won't even go into when you start having parasites. I mean children. 
So being, being married, 47. Retirement from work is a 45. Only two points less. Why? Because you have such a routine that when you retire, it disrupts that routine. And remember, where you start having the psychological crisis is when you have two to 300 of these within a 365-day period. So if you lose your job, suffer an injury, lose a spouse, or just have that added to all of the different life changes, you can see why now all of a sudden it's difficult to process. It's difficult to, to, to mentally be in a healthy state when you have the life changes going on. Pregnancy. This one gears a little more towards women, contrary to what some of the media might tell you. 40 points just for being pregnant. Is anybody here pregnant? Don't point to somebody in case they're not. Pregnant. Yeah, it disrupts your routine, doesn't it? Josh was like, yeah, that's 40 points for me too. Listen, simply, simply vacation is 13 life index points. Why? Because no matter how good it is, these aren't all bad things. It disrupts your routine. And then this one, I think it should be higher. Christmas, 12 life index change points. The stress and anxiety of having to afford gifts, where you're going to put all the new stuff, having to go visit your in-laws. <laughs> don't, don't, don't amen that one, especially if you're sitting in the room. Anything that disrupts your routine. And so here's what I want us to really focus on, what I want us to hover over today. This is the, the, the main point of it all, is that God never intended for you to carry mental burdens. He never did. According to his original plan, there's no such thing as a life change index, except for you get to say, hmm, how much time am I going to spend walking with God today as we pick fruit off of trees? That's the biggest problem you have. The hardest thing that Adam faced initially was, what should I name this black and white striped horse? I don't know. Let's call it a zebra. God never intended for us to carry mental burdens. I, I want you to lean into this for just a moment because I want to shine a light on an area that I think has been held in darkness in the church for far too long, and it's mental health. You see, I, I want you to understand that God made man and finished all of creation, stopped, it is good, rested. You're finished. And yeah, he made woman, but mankind was already made. Finished. Physically finished. Emotionally finished. Psychologically finished. You were done. Then death comes into the picture. So, so why does someone that you love that died a while ago still hurt? Why, why are you having a hard time processing it? Why, why are you mad at God over it? Why do you have this complex feelings? And it's because God never intended for you to have to psychologically deal with death. You were finished. So, so when we go through life and, and life in this world continues to dump things on you, death, betrayal, hurt, injuries, loss, all of these things, I, I, God is sitting there thinking, I never intended for you to have to be the one to carry this. So, so that's good news. The Bible, the gospel, the message of Jesus is called good news. But how do we do that? Because I can sit here and give you some, you know, 
really eloquent statements and, 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 and we can say these types of things that are motivational speeches really, but, but if it doesn't give you something that you can practically go out and change in your life, then it's really just entertainment. And the secret is in the Word of God. It's not much of a secret. It's just been hidden there the whole time. So sometimes we cover a ton of scripture and we go over a ton, boom, 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 boom. But then sometimes we take one or two verses and be laser focused on that and dissect it and chop it up. And that's what we're going to do today. There's essentially just two passages of scripture that I really want us to focus on. And I'm going to guess that if you've been in this church world for a while, you've probably heard these over and over and over again. But let me just lean in for a moment. Let me just challenge you to not let your familiarity breed indifference, to not just let the good news become old news because you've heard it over and over again. This is the living word of God. And we serve a risen king that I think can speak to you no matter where you are right now through his word. And so it's a very common scripture, Romans 12, 2. And I'll even say it to you in the King James to make all you red-lettered, indie-fundy people just so happy. And he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard that probably before. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so when I read a passage like this, I want to just kind of zoom in and focus on a few things. Because this one verse, Romans 12, 2, is pregnant with so much meaning. There's so much truth packed into this one little thing that I think if we just skip over it and go right to the next thing, we're really missing out. So, so, so the first part is this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You've heard that before, but what does that mean? I would venture to say this, that the Christian that looks no different than everyone else is a useless instrument for God here on earth. This isn't a salvation message. Because God doesn't want you to just survive this world. He wants you to thrive in this world and bring as many people to heaven with you. So, 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 what? What I've got to look at in my life is this idea of how am I falling into the patterns of this world. I would venture to say that if you are a Christian, if you've submitted your life to God, if you are actively following Jesus, but then at your work you are no different than the rest of your coworkers, you are a useless instrument for God in your vocation. Why? Because from the very beginning, God created the Jewish people to stand out, to be different. So everything they did from their dietary restrictions to their holidays to how they dressed to how they acted to a certain code of laws, the whole point was to make them stand out from the rest of the world so the rest of the world would say, who are those people and why are they different? Even simply being monotheistic in a very polytheistic world stood out. It was different. And so Paul is saying, if you fall into the patterns of this world, then what good is it? If, if, if we can't reach people in our community with love and compassion and kindness, and all we do is judge and gossip and complain and be stingy, what good is it? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Now, now when I see that word transformed, to me, that's like the crux of the whole thing. Like, that's the one thing that in the Jenga puzzle, which I hate Jenga, but if I pulled that piece out, it would come crumbling. That word transform. Because what does that mean? 
But when I was a kid, that meant that you had a bunch of robots named Optimus Prime that could come together and make an even bigger robot together. So sometimes when you, you, you have stuff in your notes, like it's super funny to you, and you're like, man, when I say this, they are going to laugh. And then sometimes that's just not reality, like this time right now. It's Transformers. What does that mean, transform? And here's the part. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. If you're not taking notes, start taking notes because you won't remember anything. It's transform. This word in Greek, the New Testament is written in Greek. It only appears one other time. Now, that's not 100% true. It actually appears in two different times. <laughs> A kind of preacher lied to you. But, but it appears twice, but it's talking both times about one thing. And it's the transfiguration of Jesus. It's the same word used. We have it up on the screen in Greek. Anybody want to give a shot at pronouncing it? This is the word in Greek. And this is where we get the English word metamorphosis. You see it? So, so what is a metamorphosis? It is a complete change. Yeah, the, the, the inside is still the same. The person is still the same. But they come out of the metamorphosis different. And it's the same way here. So two different times recorded in the tax collector's gospel and Peter's disciples' gospel, Matthew and Mark. And so we see this transfiguration of Jesus. Now, if you're not 100% sure what the transfiguration of Jesus means, don't worry, we're going to go over it. But it's powerful. It was a turning point in the ministry of the disciples that followed Jesus because it gave them a glimpse of his divinity, gave them a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And if this is the word that Paul, who would have very much picked this word on purpose when writing the letter to the church at Rome, this is the word he decided to use, it was all intentional. So let's look at Matthew 17, 2, and then we'll look at Mark 9, 2 through 3. Two different authors, same story, transfiguration of Jesus. There he was transfigured before them, meaning Jesus. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. What is interesting about this portion of Scripture is one of the very few times that we have a glimpse of what Jesus actually looks like right now. So what happens is Jesus, he goes up to the mountain of transfiguration, and then the disciples see just a glimpse of what Jesus actually looks like. See, here there's a veil when he was here on earth as a human but they saw a glimpse of what he actually looked like. So there's an actual description. Believe it or not, he doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. Believe it or not, he doesn't look like Dr. Corey Crowley right now. This, this tells you, if you know who that is, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he looks like the, I shouldn't, I'll miss it. He, uh, he, no, okay. He looks like the Christian version of the Unabomber. That's what Corey Crowley looks like right now. But, but this is an actual description of what Jesus looked like. So Mark 9, 2 through 3, feel free to cut that from the podcast. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. He had the 12, but he had the three with him and led them up high to the mountain where they were all alone. Same story. There he was transfigured before them. Underline that word because that's that metamorphosis word. It's the same word. Appears one other time in Scripture, twice, but once, about one event, same event before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So Jesus went to spend time with God and then came back transfigured. This is going to be huge. This is important. 
It's the same way that when Moses came down, it said that his face was shiny because he had been with God. A couple years ago, I chose one of my, my verses for the year of Acts, and it said that when they saw that Peter and John were uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. I mean, as soon as they walked in the room, they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Have you ever had somebody in your life that when they walk in a room, you can tell that they've been in prayer? You can tell that they've been in the Word? You can tell that they've been with Jesus? Because when they walk in the room, things change. Jesus was transfigured. Same word. You and I have access mentally to be brand new, again, to be, to be transfigured, a metamorphosis. I have this, I, I, I want you to write this down. You reflect what you spend time with. You reflect what you spend time with. See, when Jesus was up there spending time with God, he came back down and he was like God. You saw for a moment that it was the Son of God, his, his divine nature. My wife is from Montana, and she's just barely south of Canada, barely. So my in-laws, they sound Canadian to me. Like they say, what's that, a boot, an A, and all that stuff. They say they don't, they do. And my wife, when she goes back to being around her in-laws for a period of time, that accent starts kicking back up again. Next thing I know, I'm sitting next to the lady I've been married to for 16 years. Let's go. Six, I know. I look good for my age. We, we got married 16 years ago, and, and I start, like, I'll be sitting next to her, and we'll be playing cards or whatever, and I'll hear her say, hey. And I'm like, what's that about? No, I don't say that. But, but like, why? Because when she's back around her family, those things start picking back up again, you know? And, and so you know, some of you here, like here, here's another example. Me, me from California, I'm starting to talk like Gerald McCormick. I am. Like for instance, let me get, this isn't even in my notes. Let, let, you're welcome. Let, let, let me tell you what Gerald says. Okay, so if we're talking... Monday. You know where I'm going with this? So, hey, say, say we want to meet, but not this coming Monday, not tomorrow, but the following Monday. Gerald says we will meet Monday week. What is right? But it actually makes sense because some people next Monday or this Monday or the after Monday, but it's Monday and then it's a week. So I'm at home the other day, and my youngest girl, Callie, says, hey, when are we going back to visit her grandma? And I said, not this Monday, but the following Monday. And she said, Monday week? <laughs> Didn't she? Why? Because you reflect what you spend time with. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. That those of you in this room are watching that are the most stressed about the economy and the federal government and all of the different things that are wrong in this world probably spend more time watching the news than the people that aren't worried about it. Probably. Damn, I heard that. Probably. Why? 
Because you are spending time inundating your mind with negativity, negativity, negativity. The world is going to end. The economy's down. We're all in trouble. And then what happens? It starts to change your psyche. Yeah? And now, in the age of social media, everyone has access to your mind, whether they intend to or not. Now, this isn't a, uh, you know, get off social media and go back to MySpace type of a thing. Uh, I like social media. I think God uses it in a variety of ways. Look no further than the hundreds of people that will watch this today or dozens. (laughs) But you have access to my mind, every one of you. If right now you decide that you want to say something negative about me, you'll either text me, you'll DM me, You'll email me, and I'd like to tell you that it doesn't bother me. And it doesn't bother me as much as it used to, but it bothers. When someone sends you a message, and all you're doing is trying to lead a church, and they're saying because you changed the sign out front that you are a heretic and destroying this church. And I'd like to tell you that it doesn't bother me, but it does. See, we spend time on social media, and all social media does is tell you what you are not where God spends all of his time telling you who you are. And they may not even be meaning to do that. I look at social media of other preachers that don't even know who I am, and I see their big old churches and their fancy cars and their books that's selling all of these copies, and all it is telling me is who I'm not. When I've got to be reminded, my job is to be faithful with what's in front of me. My job is to serve you. And so, and so what I want us to understand is this, and it's so huge. It's simple, but it's huge. You reflect what you spend time with. We tell our kids this, man. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you lie with a dog, you'll wake up with fleas. You are who you hang out with. We tell kids that all the time, but when we're adults, we don't think that's true anymore. So, so here's my question. If I were to hand you your brain, now, now I wanted to find something that I could use as a prop, and I found a brain-stuffed animal. It's so weird. I don't know if any of you ever watched Ninja Turtles as a kid, but Krang is like this bad, this bad guy. That's what it looks like. But, but I'm sitting here thinking, why on earth would they ever make a brain-stuffed animal? It's so weird. And why would anybody buy it? And then I realized, I just bought it. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. But if I were to literally hand you your brain, this is probably about the size, really, honestly. And, and if I were to hand you the brain and say, Whatever you feed it with is what it will grow into and look like. This is real practical. What would you do? Whatever it's around, it'll turn into. It'll metamorphosize. It'll grow into. Whatever you do, what would you do with it? Would you take it and just leave it alone without anybody looking at it or, or having access to it? Would you, would you go put it in a bar would you put it, you know, the screen in front of it? Would you put it in front of the TV with the news on? Would you ship it to L.A.? What would you do with it? And, 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 and when we talk about that, it seems kind of silly, right? But it's, it's the reality of it is what you spend time feeding your brain is what will come out. And I do not think that it's just happenstance that we have this massive increase of anxiety and depression and suicide with younger and younger and younger people, the more people that have access to their mind. 
And so when you already have that and you have a low self-esteem because you're not whatever it is that you think you're supposed to be, then a life crisis happens with our life index change. Your number of, of, of experiencing a psychotic breakdown gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and then it just takes one thing, and you're struggling. So do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And then it says, by the renewing of your mind, then... It says you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You will not be able to find out what God's will is for your life until you do the first. That's what the then means. If you do this, then you'll be able to do this. So, so many people have a wrong mentality in their mind and they're trying to figure out what God's will is for their life. And so when you already have a misrepresentation of who God is, how he views you, and why you're going through what you're going through, crisis happens, then it doesn't make any sense. Have you ever seen somebody who's been walking with God for a really long time go through an element of crisis? It doesn't appear like it bothers them at all. There's some people, even in this congregation, that are facing some health battles, and I'm more worried for them than they are. And they just so happen to all have been walking with God for decades. So, we understand that. We understand now what God intended. We understand what we have to do. But then here's the question. How do we do it? How do you go out today and start renewing your mind? Now, notice it's a verb. It's not a one-time thing. So it's a constant movement, constant working at it, constant development. Have you ever had somebody tell you, just stop worrying about it? Have you ever gone to somebody and you're like, man, I just can't stop thinking about this. I'm just, I overthink things. I'm worried. I'm stressed about everything. And then that person like is sitting across from you like, and they're like, just, just stop thinking about it. And you're like, how? How do you stop thinking about it? It's, you know, it's the classic me telling you right now. Don't think about a red balloon. Don't think about a red balloon. Don't think about a red balloon. Blue, yeah. That's a Virginia Tech fan for you. How? If you have a propensity towards overthinking things, then what do you do? And here it is. It's not thinking less. It's replacing your thoughts with God's thoughts. It's not thinking less. It's replacing your thoughts with God's thoughts. So, so let me ask you this question. If you're stressed out about your job and about your finances and about your business and about the politics and about the world, then let's have a real honest answer for a moment. Who do you hear from more, Chris Matthews and Sean Hannity or the Word of God? How, how, how do you deal with that? You replace it. You replace it. So, so, so I'm worried about all of these things going on in my life. What do I do? How do I stop being worried about it? You, you take those thoughts, you capture them, you move them, and then you move what God says about you in its place. The answer is the Word of God. But the reality is, is that we don't spend as much time in the Word of God as we do in the world of God. That was good. You should retweet that. So there's another portion of scripture, the second verse that I want us to focus on, and then we're done. This is it. And this is in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And if you've spent any time in the church world, you've heard this before. But lean into this. 
The blueprint is right here the whole time of how we can be made brand new again. Because if we can't get our brain new and thinking a certain way, none of the other stuff will work. None of the other stuff will work. I heard a pastor this week say that if in 2022 is the best relationship you've ever had with God, it will be the best year you've ever had. Because they're tied together. So what do I want to be brand new again? The first thing is we got to renew our mind. The first thing is we have to be able to take what has always been burdened against us and realize that God never intended for us to carry these burdens. If you and I could process all of these things on our own, Jesus would have never had to come. But if you walk through life holding all of these burdens, then you are minimizing what Jesus did on the cross. You are. You say, ah, you didn't need to do that because I got it. You don't. You may have it now, but you were never designed to have it. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. There was a time in my life, if I could be transparent, I'll read it in just a second. Man, where things were tough for me. Things were tough. And to be honest with you, man, as somebody that grew up in church and went to vacation Bible school, was there on Wednesday nights, I went through a season in my 20s where I just all of a sudden wasn't so sure if God was real anymore. You, you may have been there too. And I actually wrote these two verses down on a sticky note, and I put it up in my car. And I started my day off by reading this. This helped me through habitual sin. This helped me through times where I wanted to give up on my marriage. This helped me through times where I was miserable at my job. This helped me through times where I just allowed the devil to convince me that who I was was what I've done. And I had to just read this over and over and over again. No, nothing cute, no special formula, no magic elixir. It was that I was going to be inundated with the truth from the word of God. So this verse may not mean much to you, but it means everything to me. Because this marked a turning point of the battle in my mind. The war for my soul put a started in my head. We're going to talk more next week about when Satan first talked to Adam and Eve. He attacked them mentally. Made them question their relationship with God. And that was the tiny little crevice and crack he needed to bring them death. Don't think for a second that's not how Satan is going to act to you. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whenever you see those two words, brothers and sisters, that means in Scripture he's talking to men and women of the church. Otherwise, he just calls them men and women. When you see brothers and sisters, that means believers. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he's, he's, he's listing all these things we got to focus on. Notice, all of those things are things of God. Not things of man, not things of the media, not things that are wrong. These are things of God. These are the things that we're supposed to think about. And I love this part. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, he says this, put into practice. That's the secret. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for you to practice perfection. 
See, it's put into practice. So what does that mean? It means I know you're going to fail a little bit here and there. I know you're going to have some down days. I know you're going to have some thoughts that you're dwelling on that knock you down for a little bit. But get back up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, seven times he gets back up again. Practice. I go back to my coaching days where I used to tell people, if you want to get good at free throws, don't read a book on it. Practice. Hear from the coach what you need to do and then go practice. So I love that right away Paul builds in that you're not going to be good at this right away. You get better at it in time. You get knocked down, you had a bad day, you stayed in bed a couple of days, you had some negative thoughts, you tried self-harm, you tried to self-medicate, you tried to cover it with alcohol, pills, habitual sin of some sort, put into practice dwelling and thinking on these things. And it says, and then the God of peace will be with you. Peace, meaning I feel good even though there's no evidence that I should feel good. I feel that God is in control even though there may not be any evidence that God is in control. I feel that God loves me, that God cares for me, that I am chosen, that I am a royal priesthood, that I am a holy nation set apart. Though I feel as if I am less than, I will dwell on the words of the Lord of who I am rather than who I've been. You want to make your mind brand new again. Let's recap. Spend time in the Word. You reflect who you've spent time with, who you've been around. Replace the negative thoughts with the truth of Scripture. Don't take my words for it. Read it yourself. If you want to know what God thinks about you, then hear what God says about you. Put into practice and then you will have peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. And nothing stands out to the world more than peace when there should be the absence of peace. When you walk into a job that you hate and you can walk in and to your coworkers when they're complaining and just say, man, I may not be here forever, but I'm thankful I'm here now. I'm thankful that I have a job. I'm thankful that I can put food on my table. You know what? I may have had to say goodbye to a loved one and buried them this year, but I know they're with the Lord, and I have peace about it. That's what stands out to the world. That's how we do not fall into the patterns of this world. But it starts with the transformation of your mind. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for all of us. For a hedge of protection over our minds. I pray this for both of my daughters all the time that God would protect their mind. That they would listen more to who God says they are than their classmates. That they would know who they are more than looking at things on the internet and TV that tell them who they're not. Because if they have a right relationship with God and a right view of how He views them, they'll survive the rest of the stuff. And they'll change the world around them. That's what I want for us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here, watching online, listening. I pray for a hedge of protection around them, Lord, mentally. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the devil has no authority in their place. I pray for the man or the woman that's in here that's struggling in a quiet struggle that no one knows about, God. That you will put people in their life that can speak truth into them. 
that they will just, your word says that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And I pray that for all of us, God. May 2022 be the best spiritual life, best year of our life, God. That we may all, we may all grow closer to you and be there for one another, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord. And I thank you that you ask, ask us to practice perfection. You don't expect us to be perfect. And I pray that as we go out today in our community, as we go to work tomorrow, as we take our kids to school, as some of us go to school, that we will be the light in the darkness, that we will be the voice in the desert that proclaims your name, Lord. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will proclaim your goodness, Lord. And surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And all God's people say, amen.